Pink Floyd's Interstellar Overdrive welcomes us to this week's letter in Joe Boyd's A to Z. The slim, erect, egotistical I. Interstellar Overdrive was an instrumental cut on their first LP. But what you're hearing now is not that track. This version of Interstellar Overdrive was made a month before they went into EMI's Abbey Road studio to make Piper at the Gates of Dawn. It was for Peter Whitehead's film, Let's All Make Love Tonight in London. The group asked me to produce a session at Sound Technique Studios where we'd made Arnold Lane, the single that got them the deal with EMI. I was still bitter about being elbowed aside due to EMI's preference for its own studios, in-house engineers, and staff producers. But the Floyd's manager at the time, Peter Jenner, persuaded me with a fee. So in longer versions of the film, I can be seen peering down from the control room as the group performs Interstellar Overdrive and Nick's Boogie. should have picked up the source of that riff. But it wasn't until many years later when I was cleaning out some old files that I came upon the strange tale of its origin, recounted in a mid-'70s interview with Peter Jenner. When I first heard Pink Floyd at a London free school benefit in Notting Hill in the summer of 66, I was running the London office of Electra Records, Excited by Electra's sudden lurch from folk music into the heart of the new sounds emanating from Greenwich Village and Sunset Strip, and unaware that I was a few weeks away from getting the sack, I set out to get Sid and the boys signed to Electra. When I broached the subject with Jenner, he indicated that he thought Electra's folkiness made it a bit inappropriate as a home for the Floyd. So I presented him with promo copies of the first releases of our shiny new series, the Paul Butterfield Blues Band, Tim Buckley, The Doors, and Love. Jenner tells the interviewer what happened next. At a Floyd rehearsal, he told Sid that he'd just heard all this amazing new music from Elektra. The record that really stood out for him was Love's first LP, it was made up mostly of original songs by Arthur Lee, but side A, track one, was their cover of a Burt Bachrach Hal David song, My Little Red Book. 
Jenner is a great enthusiast. He couldn't stop talking about this LP by love. Sid had to hear it. He'd love it. The first track is so great. It goes like this. And Jenner started to sing My Little Red Book to Sid Barrett. Da 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 da. I just got out my little red book the minute that you said goodbye. Sid stared at Jenner, then went over and grabbed his guitar. Sing that again. So Jenner did. Sid started playing riffs on the guitar, trying to mimic what Peter was singing. And that, boys and girls, is how Interstellar Overdrive was born. Here's a passage from my book, White Bicycles. Hearing the descending opening chords of Interstellar Overdrive takes me immediately back to those nights when the lights would pulse and bubble against the stage, the crowd would cheer the familiar melody, the four of them would stare intently down at their instruments, and we would be off. The jaunty choruses of Sid's melodies were like fertile planets, in a void of spaced-out improvisation. Returning to the theme after a ten-minute excursion was both exhilarating and reassuring. Going into the studio in February of 1967 presented us all with the challenge of trying to capture the atmosphere of a live UFO gig while sticking to the three-minute format of a 45-rpm single. Rick Wright's characteristic organ solo on Arnold Lane is pretty well known. Arnold Lane, Arnold Lane. But we ventured a bit further out on the B-side, Candy and a Current Bun. Ice cream tastes good in the afternoon. Ice cream tastes good if you eat it soon. Don't touch me, child. Please, you know you drive me wild. Drive me wild. Please, you know I'm feeling frail. Thank you. 
I think the group would agree that our 16-minute-long recording of Interstellar Overdrive, almost twice as long as the album version, is the only real evidence of what early Floyd sounded like playing live. After Sid died, I helped organize a tribute concert in London. It turned out to be a great night. The Floyd turned up unannounced and ended the show with Arnold Lane. And there were great covers of Sid's songs by Chrissy Hine, Damon Albarn, Robin Hitchcock, Captain Sensible, and even Martha Wainwright and Kate McGarrigal. I wrote a few words about Sid for the program. Here are some of them. David Bowie says Sid changed his life by the way he sang Arnold Lane, just as he talked, not trying to sound black or American or cool, just sounding like himself, singing about the way the lodger's knickers used to go missing in the Barrett backyard. Sid certainly changed the life of his fellow Floyds. He gave them escape velocity. Long after he was gone, his way with a chord and a melody shaped their music and their triumphs. They sang about him over and over again to the millions of fans who knew the name but never heard the voice. You can't really analyze how Sid changed everything just by being Sid. But when I think back to the year in which I knew him, I can feel his ripples. Everyone at those early Floyd shows was just a bit different afterwards. You could sense it in the streets of Notting Hill. The crowds at the early UFO shows were so happy Sid was there in front of them. So many things were changing by the week, but Sid seemed untouched, the still center around which the hurricane blew. In 1967, we thought we were at the beginning of something, something really big. We didn't realize we were nearing the end. Everything we created in those years of optimistic freedom wound up on a corporate website. I think Sid saw it coming like the small animal that runs out of the forest two days before the earthquake. This is Joe Boyd's A to Z. Come back next week for a J. 